bless. This is the series that we are in. We're going to look at five just practical ways in which we can be a blessing in our communities. When you're trying to solve a problem, how do you get started? Do some of you just just start and figure it out along the way, kind of build an airplane as it is in flight? Some of you might look on YouTube. So you're going to make a list. You're going to do your research. You know, you got some of the people who make that calculate the list, all the materials I need. If you're building something, make a decision, plan it all out, map it all out. I'm sure some of other you maybe aren't quite as detailed, but you like picture like what it could look like. Some of you are visual people where it's like, okay, I'm trying to start something. This is what I need to look like. Maybe he even hears the type of interaction. You try to manufacture the setting or situation. So it's exactly like what you picture in your mind. Some of you probably get so overwhelmed at the starting something that you don't even start because that just that thought just intimidates you. Maybe it's not quite a problem you're trying to start per se or solve, but maybe it's even just in decision making. When you're contemplating the choice in front of you, make a list, do your research, just start and hope it works out. Some of you have that conversation in your head four times before it happens. I've never done that myself or where you then think you had the conversation with your loved one and then you remember it was all in your head and you didn't actually have that conversation. (laughs) Clearly, never have done that, he said sarcastically. Okay. Um, Sometimes just knowing where to start, where to begin, is half the battle. Knowing where to start can be difficult. In so many aspects of life, we've been taught maybe where to start. Maybe looking for a job, you know the right places to go. Maybe how to start your day with a morning routine. There are plenty of YouTube videos out there on that, how to have that perfect morning routine, and we look up and do the research for that. But sometimes when it comes to following Jesus, we actually don't know where to start. Or even some aspects of the Christian life where we've heard, we've even heard stories of others, but it seems so intangible. Like, I don't know what to do to begin to take that first step. Someone may even say some things like, well, you just do it. Or like, just read the Bible or just show up to church. But it seems so intimidating, can even seem so overwhelming because can it really be that simple and that straightforward? And then even if I do that, what does that even mean? We talked a moment ago about like stepping into this room to to sing songs, having a conversation with someone this morning. Where else in our society and in our world do people get together on a regular interval, a weekly basis, and sing out loud together? It seems so foreign and confusing. Because I know some of you aren't hitting up Taylor Swift's concert every single week and, you know, singing those songs out loud or Nickelback or, you know, because that was right around the corner and someone got stuck in traffic last night, you know, because of the concert. And so it's even the songs we sing just in our everyday life, we may sing them in the shower, in the car, with people, but we don't find ourselves, unless we're at a concert, maybe once or twice in our lives, 
singing those songs. And so even something like that, how do, how does I, how do we become people who that's just our response? Where we, where we start and it seems normal and natural. How, where does that begin? And sometimes we just get confused by all the extra and miss out the simplicity of following Jesus and doing what he did. And so that's where really today, as we start this BLESS series, as we look at the first letter in this acronym, the B, I want us to begin with where Jesus did. And if he is our life and our model for ministry, then may we start where he started. We read the passage in Luke chapter 6, and it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. Sometimes in this passage, we jump quickly to all the people he selected. And we're going to talk a little bit about the type of the people he selected, the type of people Jesus used on his mission and in his ministry. But before he selected, before he began, he prayed. It's interesting, even at Jesus' baptism, at the start of his ministry, the passage says that he began to, to respond and be baptized, and it was as he was praying. If you hear anything from me at all today, as, as we engage with the call and the mission to receive blessing from God and be a blessing in our community and in our world, we must begin where Jesus began. And that is with prayer. And that seems so simple, yet there's so much baggage when it comes to praying. But I love what we see here in this moment. As Jesus is choosing people, he's been around people. He's been ministering to people. He's thinking about how does he live his mission? How does he multiply his mission and his ministry within the world? And he sneaks away and he spends all night in prayer. And I often wonder, what was Jesus praying about? What was he thinking about? He had spent time with so many people thinking about the next phase of his ministry. And yet here, emerging out of that moment, he selects 12. If it had been me thinking about ministry and mission and even thinking about how does Generations Church grow, I am often tempted and might have been tempted in this moment to skip the prayer part and just pick the people. How often do we just pick or we just start with what we think is right or wrong? Because I probably would have picked the most gifted, the most skilled, those who maybe had the right story. And oftentimes when we pick people or we begin something by what we can see and not stop to consider what's behind what's seen to the unseen, we may miss the power and the possibility that God has for us. Because I could probably assume with those Jesus doing miracles, being around his ministry, there are probably a few obvious first-round picks, obvious slam dunks, like some all-stars in the crowd. Of course there were. But Jesus didn't pick with what made sense to him. He spent the night in prayer, deciding on the 12 he would invest his life in disciple. And the stakes were high. 
because those people were going to be leaders of influence in his ministry. And ultimately, some of these same individuals write letters to churches about how to follow Jesus well in their own communities. See, these 12 were going to be the first ones that he would bless more intimately with his life. And together, they would form a community of friendship. And once they were ready, Jesus would send them out to bless the world. See, it's always been God's dream to bless the world. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God calls Abraham out of a place of, of influence, of worshiping other gods, and says, I choose you through you and your family. I will bless you so that the whole world will be blessed. And that is where this acronym comes from is we have been invited by God to receive his blessing in Christ Jesus so that then wherever we live, work, and play, we're to be agents of blessing with people on behalf of God. So as you consider your relationships, where you work, where um, where you live, your neighborhoods and community, you are there on a mission to be an agent of blessing on behalf of God for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. So if you have said, if you've prayed a prayer, if you've responded in baptism, if you said, yep, I'm on God's team, he is on, sits on the throne of my heart, you are invited into an incredible adventure and called to respond to be an agent of blessing in your world. And that's what Jesus modeled in selecting these 12. And what's amazing is that this was God's plan. Originally, That's what his people were supposed to do. His people eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. But along the way, we focus and they focus on hoarding blessing, focusing on themselves, their needs, and their status as God's chosen people. They didn't understand that the mission wasn't just for them to be blessed, but to be a blessing. But God didn't give up on his dream of people who would love one, who would love one another and share his love, Amen. which is why Jesus selects the 12. He was renewing God's mission to the world. Scholars will tell you that these 12 people are kind of replacements for the 12 tribes. In some way, God incarnate was starting over, renewing his plan through the 12 tribes, through these 12 soon-to-be apostles who would take this blessing to the world, to others. Now, some of you might be ahead of me wondering, why does Jesus need to pray if he is God? I don't know if you kind of caught that or asked that question. I know when I read the Bible, if, if I'm reading it sincerely and engaging with it, sometimes I go like, I have a question about what's being said. So I hope as you read the Bible that you actually question what's read and seek and dig into it. And so one of the things that's so interesting is why did Jesus need to pray if he was God? Well, good question because I'm going to answer it anyway, whether you had that or not, because I had that question. And so two reasons. First, even though Jesus was God in flesh to become a human being, it meant taking on self-imposed limitations to be like us. The Bible says he knows what it's like to be like us, to be in our shoes, to have to make a choice of where to be, when to be, how to be. When does he engage and when does he recluse to pray, to consider, to recharge? And so if Jesus is truly like us, he self-chose limitations to be in our shoes. And so most of us, 
can't quite imagine how Jesus is like us, but he is more like us than most of us have ever imagined. Even as God in flesh, he depended on God the Father and looked to him for direction and was empowered by the Spirit to do what he did where and when he do it, does it. Which means the promises that are manifest in Jesus that are then available to us means that we can have the same type of life. That means that we can seek God the Father for wisdom and direction and trust that the Spirit will give us the wisdom, that what we need, wherever we find our feet. And so second, Jesus lived a life that would be an example for us on how to be fully human and how we should live. In the same way that he taught the disciples to pray, he wants us to learn how to pray to seek him, to know and respond to that. And so while we don't know exactly what happened as Jesus was praying about the 12, you know, whether did the father speak to him in an audible voice? Did he start naming names? Did certain names pop into his head? Was there some sort of sign? The Bible doesn't tell us. We only know that before Jesus began his mission to bless the world, he began with prayer. Prayer that he would do what God wanted him to do. Prayer that God would lead him to the right people to catalyze a movement of love. But it's interesting to note that the guys Jesus picked after praying weren't the obvious choices for a starting lineup. In fact, they were common fishermen, corrupt tax collectors, violent political revolutionaries, and a lot of them were just nobodies. And Jesus saw people. He saw these men who were around him, people who would have probably been ignored or noticed. But because Jesus began with prayer, he went beyond the seen to the unseen. And he invested his life in those people. See, the first habit that we have to have, if we're going to truly bless the world, is to begin with prayer to try to strip away what's seen, to travel into a world of unseen, to ask God to give eyes and wisdom for engagements and preparation and timeliness in ways that, that we would actually manufacture or think ourselves or strategize ourselves out of. Some of you are putting together this perfect plan for your life and you can't figure out why the perfect plan doesn't go the way it's perfectly planned in your head. It's because it's not the perfect plan. The perfect plan is the one that God is leading you on and he wants you to break that perfect plan out to say his perfect plan is his perfection lived in you in Christ so that you can just simply respond and allow the identity that's received in Christ then be lived out so that the perfect plan is wherever you find yourself. That then you can live and be the presence of Jesus as if Jesus were in your shoes. That is the hope. That is the direction that, that he catalyzes. That's why he, he says it's actually he tells his disciples, it's better for me to leave and go to heaven and send the spirit because Jesus can't be, couldn't be everywhere with everyone, but the spirit can be with all people wherever they find themselves and knit people together, to bring people together, to, to cultivate a family of different backgrounds, stories, and, and people like these 12 individuals who would have killed each other had it not been for the presence of Jesus in their lives. I can imagine some of the walks along the road. Can you imagine? Simon the Zealot being like, man, we got to overthrow. We got to do this. You know, Matthew, what are you doing? Why are you, why'd you take money? 
Man, you a sellout. Like, what's going on here? And then you got some, some fishermen who, I don't know if they had a stutter or whatever, but, but maybe not well-educated, but just trying to, just trying to figure, hey, not, no shots at fishermen or lifers. But just, like, it's, it, when we start to re, reinterpret, and not even reinterpret, but start to think about the people maybe we pass by every day, who we just, and maybe we even think have that version of ourselves, where we see ourselves as nobodies, yeah. as afterthoughts of unusable, as unlovable. But what's amazing is because Jesus began in prayer, he looks to people and sees them and that they can be used by God. And he invites us into that wonderful adventure to say, you can be used by God. And God loves and sees others in your world not just as useful, but as lovable. And when they hear and experience God's love, then out of that love, then they can be agents of that love. They can have received blessing and then give blessing. So Jesus just didn't leave his disciples also to hang out to dry. Say, hey, I'm going to go away and pray. I'm going to pretend like this isn't a thing. And then you all figure it out. In fact, in conversation, his disciples asked him, something happens when you pray. We went in on it. And Jesus actually teaches his disciples how to pray. So it's not some like, what do I say? How do I say it? What is it like? Is there some magic formula? But Jesus does give a response that we can then learn from. So if we're going to begin in prayer and move towards that, then we can begin to pray like Jesus prayed. And some of you know this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Some of you, some of you are repeating it. I was to say, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's a pathway here that invites us into relationship and into response at what God is doing. Let me throw up just one picture. Let's go to that hexagon. What Jesus simply does in teaching his disciples how to pray, just trying to like make it as clear as I can and not as confusing. He prays the Father's character. It comes out of Matthew 6, verse 9. He invites the Father's kingdom for the Father's provision, for the Father's forgiveness, for the Father's guidance, and for the Father's protection. Asking God to intercede in these ways. And it's not some like, this is the way I absolutely have to pray, because prayer is really just pouring your heart out to God. It's having a conversation. But as some of you want to know, where do I start in prayer? This is an appropriate place to start. Take a picture, write it down. And then begin to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed and taught his disciples. Because what happens when we start to learn and be influenced by this prayer, something will start to stick in your mind. For instance, you can pray for your day. Father, I know you are my caring, loving, heavenly Father. You rule over all the world and will watch me today from your throne in heaven. Let your glory be seen in all I do today. I want your rule to be done in all my thoughts and actions today. Please provide for all my needs today, spiritual, physical, and financial. 
And what happens is when you start to, maybe you have a drawer full of debts, full of bills that need to be paid, but you're not sure where the money is going to come from. You spend time in prayer seeking God for the daily bread to pay your debts. So when the Lord's Prayer begins to say that and you begin to stop and you realize it's from the area of your life that you need God to walk through that together today. Or tomorrow, uh, you might be struggling with forgiveness for a coworker for something they said or did or even a loved one. And you recognize that as you pray this prayer, you're praying for God to give you the strength of forgiveness to forgive them as he has forgiven you. And what happens is in the everyday things of life, as you measure and as you contemplate and as you consider what it means to actually be relational in a world, you can then be empowered to pray and God can move you and stretch your heart. Maybe even someone asks you to pray for them. And you can say, Father, your reign in heaven extends down to our residence here on earth. Let your glory be seen in my life of my friend. In your kingdom, there is no sickness, no pain. Let your kingdom come in my friend's life and body today. Providing our daily bread and our provisions includes having a healthy body so we can do all of your will. Please give my friend a healthy body. I'm trying to give you words to say that aren't just abstract, empty things, but are tied to the principle and the prayer that Jesus prayed and taught his disciples. Hudson Taylor, a British missionary to China, said, do not have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. Begin the day with the word of God in prayer and get first into harmony with him. Some of you want to see breakthrough in your life. Some of you want to see change. Begin your day with prayer, praying what Jesus prayed. And it's not just going to magically someday stop or think, but what happens is prayer actually aligns our hearts with God. So we begin to see what he sees. Because maybe your circumstances never actually change. But instantly prayer, because you're moving your heart to your, the Father's heavenly provision and perspective, you actually see your circumstances and your situations in a radically different way. You begin to see people in a different way. Amen. See, because prayer changes the problem of our own hearts. And sometimes we don't pray because we think we don't know how or we're too busy or we doubt it works. Or sometimes we even misunderstand prayer. Yeah. We think it's this magical little formula that if I say the right thing at the right time, if I say in Jesus' name, amen, then automatically it's like it's gotta happen. It's gotta, and that's not the purpose. But what prayer does is it moves our heart to alignment with God. And when we realize that God is on a mission of love, a mission of blessing, then when we pray and we are moved in that direction, we can't help but then bless and love others. So prayer is pouring our hearts to God so as to align our hearts with his. It was Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom who said, we never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan for the answer. Prayer is both how you discover your mission and how you live out the mission. Over and over again, we see Jesus retreating to pray. Maybe you're not sure who God is calling you to bless or where God is calling you to be a blessing, but begin with prayer. And if you know the people you want to bless, begin praying for those people now. See, prayer is not what we do before the work. Prayer is the work. 
Because what you're doing is you're tapping into the power of the promises of God and trusting that his source will actually move and that he can change the circumstance, can change the situation. So prayer is not what we do before the work. Prayer is the work. And a church that prays has a power that is uncontrollable and unimaginable. We want to bless our community. We want our community to know that they are loved, that their story matters. They are not alone. We cannot do that unless we pray, unless we are powered by a source. A, a, a praying church is a powerful church. So first and foremost, if we want to do something great for God, we must first get with God in prayer and recognize that he is with us, and that is our power source. So just to be straight with you, this is something that I have believed for a long time, but I've been searching for a way for us to put into practice. And I will be first to confess that we've tried a lot of different strategies and we've tried a lot of different things. And so when I say this, I'm not talking about a new strategy or a new initiative, but really it's one that was in our heart from the beginning, but we're just trying to make it more plain and make it doable. And so two things that you'll notice. The first is if you look over here in the corner, sorry for those of you online, but you know, we had an office there, a ministry office, where we, we, set, we got rid of it. Why? Because we're turning it into a prayer room. Because we want people, and it's not something magic or like automatically because we have a prayer room now, everything's going to be great. We want a praying people. We want to be a praying church. And so that starts with creating space and room for prayer in our gatherings and our response time, but also throughout the week. So this is going to turn and morph and evolve, and we don't know what that will exactly turn into, but we are developing our own prayer room, prayer closet, so that we can intercede, we can go to God on our community's behalf. And you can do that right in your home, because God's not magically in that room. He's with you wherever you go. But sometimes we need to step out of our just rhythms, and get alone with God in a space that's different. And so we're trying to create a room that you can do that, to pray for missionaries, to write notes, to ask what God is doing, so that you can create space to go to God and really just begin your life, and maybe your own journey in prayer, to provide tools and resources to help you do that. The second way that we're doing that is we've got this fancy little new prayer wall. And I don't know about you, but I forget things. I say sometimes, just being honest, that I'll pray for people and sometimes I forget. And sometimes I need physical things in front of my face to remind me Amen. to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I want to pray for people. I want God to move on their behalf. I want our church to have stories of praying for each other that don't involve our pastoral staff. And so we're going to try to use this as a way to facilitate that. So you can take a card and write on it and stick a prayer request. You can take your gen card and write something, a prayer request to put it on there. And in fact, over here, we also have little praying for you cards. So to help facilitate our church to not just the staff be praying for these requests, but you can be praying for these requests as well. And it was amazing because I put a couple on here this morning just that I have prayer requests for, but naturally someone came up and said, hey, I've got some requests as well and started writing these out. And sometimes the people will put their names on them. Other times they may just be anonymous. And regardless, you can write a little note, a little prayer, stick it behind the thing and say, you're not alone. 
whether you've made your prayer explicit and you've attached your name to it or whether or not you haven't. We can be a church that says, takes time to say that you're not alone by praying and responding in those tangible ways. And so maybe God leads you during our Sunday gatherings to write out a prayer. This will be available. Come post it on there. Maybe during one of our Sunday gatherings or throughout the week, God says you need to be praying. And so you come and you grab a prayer card and you say, I'm going to be praying for these things, for these people. Because we know that prayer is the work, not just something we do before the work. So maybe on here you write friends, neighbors, family members, people that you want to see blessed and come to Jesus. This is the place and this is a way that you can do that. I want to give you one more tangible way. If we're going to bless the world, we know that we have to be a praying church, praying for our own church community for requests and celebrating when God moves and responds. But we also want to be able to pray for our neighbors, for our coworkers and for our friends. And so maybe I'm just going to give you a little tic-tac-toe thing. Um, Let's go ahead and throw that picture up on there. And there's just eight blank squares. And maybe you put your own self at your workplace. Maybe you put your own house on here. I kind of think about my house. There's eight people that live directly around me. Can I put their names in those squares? Can I begin praying for them by name, get to know their hopes, fears, and dreams? Maybe some of you don't live in a house. You live in an apartment. You got people above you and below you. You can flip this square vertically and do exactly that. Maybe you're like, man, our neighborhood's kind of wonky. We don't have perfectly eight people who live right around us. Think about eight people at work who, who sit in the cubicle next to you, who, who are in the same office around you. Don't let something like this limit your ability to pray for people. But what's amazing is as I think about this, and I think about my own footprint, do I know the eight people that live around me? Can I actually write their names on that card? And maybe your first step, in order to begin praying for them, you need to be praying for an opportunity to fill in that blank space because maybe you don't have eight people or you don't know those names yet. Regardless, don't let the knowledge or lack of knowledge of names be an excuse, but begin with prayer and ask God to fill in those blanks to put people in your circle that you can be praying for. You know what's amazing is I just did some quick math. If every person prayed for eight people for one year, and over the course of the one year, those eight people began praying for eight people, and all those people began praying for another eight people, and all those people became praying another, within five years, our whole Portland metro area would be prayed for, individually, personally, by name. It just starts with eight. Do you know eight people in your life by name that you can be praying for? Maybe so that God can open your heart to bless them in tangible ways that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Maybe it's you've got a relationship with them, but it's kind of stagnant. You can put those people on there. And even if you don't want to do the whole Portland Metro, even if you have that, All of Vancouver, all of Clark County could be prayed for in five years. 
even if four of those eight started praying for other people. Imagine what God could do when people engage with Jesus, begin and engage the work of prayer, and begin praying for others. I believe that some of the things that divide us in our world would stop dividing us. Some of the hurts and the hangups that people have with each other would start to be healed. Because we're not trying to just go at each other and become friends. And sometimes it's like we're two batting rams at each other. But ultimately, when we both seek God, whatever walls divide us can't contain us because we go above the wall to the source of something that can, can bring us together. And that is what creates a new family for us here at Generations Church. You don't have to do this life alone. As you pray to God, as you seek him, as you begin in prayer, we're trying to be a community through tools like this and like that to be people who move toward each other. And so, as I close today, on the way out, we've got packs of eight cards on the back table for party in the park and for kids camp. We talked about a fa- social media, Facebook post, so if you're more digital, do that. But I hope, take one of those packs. Who are eight people that you can give that to? Not because we're trying to make generations big, but because we want people to encounter a big Savior, a big and good and glorious God who loves them so they can receive his blessing and then respond and bless others. Because ultimately, I cannot change the world. You cannot change the world. Even prayer alone doesn't change the world. Only God can change the world. However, God uses prayer to change us, and then God uses us to change the world and be his agents of blessing. May we go be blessed and live blessed, knowing our identity, receiving his love, and passing that along to others. Let me pray for us. God, you are good. as we end this time in prayer. Would you bring people to our hearts and to our minds? Who would you like us to pray for? Maybe we want to get to, to know our neighbors. Maybe we don't know our neighbors. And God, give us an opportunity to get to know them, but help us to pray about that, to grow our hearts in alignment with your mission and your way, to even want to do that. We need you to change our hearts. God, may your blessing flow through us to the world. May we know that our source and our strength, our power, comes from you and you alone. May we not treat prayer as some wish or just empty hope, but know that we are going to the creator God of the universe who loves us and works things all together for the good of those who love them. God, change your hearts, change your perspective. We need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.